do that now. Still waiting for it to come up. Anyway, while we're waiting for it to come up, I hope that all of you all had a blessed and prosperous week. It's up on YouTube, but um, I don't see it on Facebook yet. So, well, maybe we'll go ahead and get started and uh, I'll share it, uh, I'll pause to share it in a few minutes. Um, in any event, let's have a word of prayer before we actually get started. Lakita, you mind giving us a word of prayer? Okay. <clears throat> Most honorable Father, we are so grateful that once again, we get to observe and celebrate another Sabbath day and remember that you are our creator and our, um, our redeemer and our savior, that you love us, Lord. So Lord, as we study your word, we know that you want us to know more about you. We ask that the spirit of God will attend us, that our minds will be open and our heart will be receptive to receive and understand your word. Please write it on our minds and hearts so that we will not sin against you and that we will be saved with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and praise you always. Amen. Amen. So this chapter we've been studying is entitled Our Ministers. However, it's not just about the ministers. And uh, as we saw in um, our previous study, um, she's dealing with different attitudes of the ministry, but also the lay members. Uh, the rich and the poor. And so um, as we start this paragraph, paragraph 478.2, she starts off saying that there's a great work to be accomplished for Sabbath keepers. And she says that our eyes need to be opened to our true condition or true spiritual condition, and that we need to be zealous and repent or we will lose out on everlasting life. Uh, I'm being told that the Facebook is live now, so I'm going to go ahead and share it. Just give me just a second. Okay, there we go. Good deal. And you heard that, Lee. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. I'm going to share it a couple now more places. Go ahead and share it. Just give me just a second. Okay. There we go. Good deal. All right. Okay. Back to our study. So, um, so she's saying our eyes need to be open. That 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 we don't know our true spiritual condition, and we need to be zealous and repent. And she says that the spirit of the world has taken possession of Sabbath keepers. And that we've been brought into captivity by the powers of darkness. And she said, we need to heed the exhortation of the apostle Paul, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And she said that, she's saying that with many, there is a worldly spirit that we cherish of covetousness and selfishness and that that predominates. And she said that, all who possess this spirit are looking out for our own interests. Uh, and she says that the selfish rich man does not interest himself in the things of his neighbors unless it's to study how, how he can take advantage of them at their disadvantage. She says that that's uh, radar telling us that uh, something's getting ready to come in, a storm's getting ready to come in. Um, but she says that... Um, and she said that the noble God-like, the noble and the God-like in man is parted with and sacrificed for selfish interests. And she says that the love of money, which we know this from the scriptures, is the root of all evil. And she said it blinds the vision and prevents people from discerning their obligations to God and to their neighbors. And she says some people flatter themselves. This is going on into the next paragraph. They flatter themselves with their liberal because they donate at times freely to the ministers for the advancement of truth. But yet, when it comes to dealing with people in adverse circumstances who may be poor and may be in need, she says that they, they are blinded to their responsibilities. 
And in dealing with the poor, the hard laboring brother, they are exacting to the last farthing. Does that remind you of uh, any uh, parable in the Bible? I can't remember. So there was a, 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 a rich man. Well, there was a man that was indebted. And I guess he was somewhat rich, but he was indebted to the king. And when the king demanded the money, he said that uh, he said he begged the king and begged the king for mercy and begged the king for mercy. And finally, the king said, OK. And he excused the debt for that time. And I guess maybe he extended the loan probably is what he actually did. I don't know. But then the same man that had been excused went out and there was a debt owed to him by someone else. And he demanded the debt. And when the man couldn't pay it, he threw him into prison. And how do you think that made the king feel? Like he had been used, really. Mm, yeah. And like he had been merciful, but the person that he had shown mercy to refused to show mercy. So the king was angry. Mm -hmm. And I think he took, got, went, got the man and all of his possessions and family and maybe family. I can't remember that part of the story and cast him into prison. So we have to be careful how we deal with the poor because the scriptures say that when you've done it to the least of these, what? Done to Jesus. That's right. Absolutely. One of the things in that uh, paragraph, Karen, where it talks about the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. it, it's really amazing. It sounds very simple, but it is certainly the truth. I think we had mentioned we was looking at this documentary about um, dirty money. And these mm -hmm. people was doing anything for a dollar. They were, mm -hmm. I mean, literally killing people and murdering yes. and burning folk house up just for money. And, it's, mm -hmm. and like she says here, you're just going to take what they got and add it to your already too much wealth that you have. Mm -hmm. But when people are in love with money, they don't see anything but the dollar. They don't see that they're running over other human beings. They don't see that they're destroying other people's lives. They don't see that they're you know, overreaching. They don't see anything except the next dollar and they'll do anything to get it. You know, that reminds me, I was watching something one time and um, a person who has done well for themselves in life uh, and was friends of Oprah Winfrey's decided to give Oprah a birthday gift. And so they gave Oprah a Rolls Royce. I'm like, there's so much more that could be done with that money. Oprah don't need a Rolls Royce. If she wanted one, she'd buy her own. Yeah. You know, and there was so much more good that could be done with the same money instead <laughs> of buying a rich person something, you know. Yeah. But. We had seen where um, these people, they'll, they'll give each other gifts, like $200,000 birthday gift or something like you're talking about with the Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. And think of all the people that you could really help with that. You're giving right. somebody who already has millions more money. They don't need that. But Absolutely. you can save people's lives with that money, literally. Right, right. literally. I was watching a program last night on the Hope Channel and it dealt with uh, school in India. And it said, you know, that because of the, well, since the pandemic, food had become really short. This was orphans and children who had been abandoned by their parents. And that since the pandemic, food had become really short. And, you know, they were, of course, soliciting help for, for these children. And there's just so much, but, you know, you say, well, what will my little $5 do? You never know how far mm -hmm. your $5 can go. And so I encourage everyone, you know, do what you can. Your $5 um, goes really far in other countries. Here in America, mm -hmm. you could buy, what, a couple candy bars for $5. <laughs> of right. But in right. another country, that's somebody's monthly salary. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always like, uh, we would give donations to this company called Heifer International. And it's kind of nice because with your $20, you could buy a family a cow or a goat or some sheep or, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff where they can actually start their own business with. Mm -hmm. And then that just continues because then their business grows and they give it to their children, et cetera. Right. And you think of all the people you can help. It's just amazing how far uh, a little bit can go. Like if you, I know your son likes to cook. So if you take a potato, one person can eat a potato, but if you take the potato and cut it up into pieces, it mm -hmm. goes so much farther, you won't even believe it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how it is when you're sharing your money with others, it goes a lot farther than what mm-hmm. you could seemingly do with it yourself. Absolutely. And so uh, we're in the next paragraph now. And uh, she talks about rich people and how they don't, sh- they, they, they don't really um, look at the poor person as uh, someone who's working hard also. And she said that the poor person basically gets the poor side of the bargain because instead of the rich person favoring his poor brother, He's sharp and exacting and takes all the advantage he can to add to his already accumulated wealth by the misfortune of others. You know what that makes me think about sometimes how American companies will go overseas to produce their goods and services because they don't have to pay a minimum wage over there. Mm. And so people people are living in abject poverty because these American companies are going over there. I mean, they got a job. So maybe that's what the American companies are saying. We're giving people a job, but they're not paying a living wage. What they're saying is it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing companies in America will do. Like Mm -hmm. Amazon don't want to pay people more than $11. Come on, dude, you got 600 billion bucks in your own bank account. Share some of that. And I recall when I was at the phone company, uh, then they would have a meeting. And, you know, people would be grumbling about some big change that they're trying to shove down our throats. And somebody would say, well, I don't see why you know, this here, that is going on. And then the executive, he would just look at him and say, well, sometimes it's just good to have a job, isn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was the message for everybody else. Shut up, <laughs> you know, cause you're lucky to be working here. Uh-huh. But it's all greed, love of money. It's all greed. She says that the rich man prides himself because of his shrewdness, but with his wealth, he is heaping up to himself a curse, a heavy curse and laying a stumbling block in the way of his brother. And she said by, the, by his meanness and his close calculation, he's, he, he, is, he is extinguishing basically his influence, his, uh, uh, his religious influence with the, mm-hmm. with the poor man. And he says that all this lives in the memory of the poor man. And even the most earnest prayers and zealous testimonies from his rich brother's lips will only have an influence to grieve and disgust him. So basically, you know, you always said, you always heard, you know, uh, actions speak louder than words. And so by this, by the rich man, the way he was treating this poor brother, in all words he says, after all words the rich man says after that don't mean nothing because he's not living his faith. And then it pointed out, too, even after all that, being kicked to the curb and kicked in the teeth by the rich man, the poor man may have so much of the spirit of Christ that he forgives the abuse of his rich brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and in the next paragraph, 480.1, she talks about how true noble disinterested benevolence is rarely found among the wealthy. And she says in their ambition for wealth, they overlook the claims of humanity. They cannot see and feel the cramped, disagreeable position of their brethren in poverty who perhaps have labored as hard as themselves. And like Cain, they say, I'm, am I my brother's keeper? I've worked hard for what I have. I have to hold on to it. Instead of praying, help me to feel my brother's woe. Their constant study is to forget that he has any woes and any claims upon their sympathy or liberalities. You know, you were talking about Amazon, uh, Bezos. You know, his wife got half of his fortune and she basically gave half of what she got away to charity Mm -hmm. because she says, there's no way I can spend this in a lifetime. And then she just the other day, she gave away another 20 20 billion, 20 billion to charity. Uh, I don't know what charity she gave it to, but she gave away another 20 billion to charity. And so, you know, that's what God is looking at. And, 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 you know, some of us say, well, if I was rich, I would do thus and such. But what are you doing with the dollar that you have or the dollar or two that you have? You know, because God knows. He knows what you would do if you were rich. Would you hold on to it and be exacting and stingy and mean? And, you know, or would you, in fact, do some of the things that you're telling God you would do if you were wealthy? You know, um, and she says many Sabbath keepers who are wealthy are guilty of grinding the face of the poor. And so she said, a true witness is saying, I know thy works. And that she, Sister White says, she saw this spirit of defrauding, of overreaching, of meanness 
even among professed Sabbath keepers. And she cried out in anguish of spirit. And she said, this is a terrible, evil curse. And she said, it's folding around some of the, the people of God in these last days, making them a detestation to even noble spirited unbelievers. Have you ever had, have you ever run upon someone that said, you know, um, I don't want nothing to do with, with, with y'all because I don't know what y'all are doing as, as Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath keepers. You ever run upon anybody like that? No, not really. <laughs> you know, there was someone, I'm not going to call no names. She came to our church because of one of our members. And she was there for a little minute. And then she got disgusted with us because she said, I thought that I would find true holiness here on the, on the Sabbath, especially. She said, but y'all sit around and at the Sabbath dinner or at Sabbath dinner, y'all talk about all kind of stuff. <laughs> and she said, and she left. She never came back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's, that, that's a, that's a, testimony of our worldliness on the sabbath really because we didn't leave all that stuff in the week maybe or it may just simply be a testament a testament to her um unrealistic expectations of other human beings of her not understanding god's mercy and god's goodness and god's graciousness and then Mm -hmm. it's also maybe an indication of her own of her putting her beliefs and her thoughts on how the Sabbath should go up on other people. So it comes down to her deciding that she's going to be the judge instead of Christ. Okay. So is there, is there, is there a whole lot to judge? Like, like, like your husband always says, we can't judge, but we can expect the fruit. If yeah. they talking about the ball game and they talking about the movies. But you know, it, that, 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 that be, that be, um, judgment, like, for example, her decision, to me, judgment was exactly what she did. Her decision was that these people are not worthy of my presence because they are not as holy as I think holiness should be. They don't talk the way I think they should talk. Or do you think that she was looking for something more than what she saw out in the world in the church she came from? And she didn't see something more. She saw some, well, she did see something more, but it wasn't in a good way. Well, you know, because she was going, let me say this. I I mean, what if, what if she had a heart that was truly seeking after God? If she had a heart. And she thought that she would come into the company of others who were truly seeking after God. You know what? You know what? If she thought she was seeking after God, she would have found God. He said, if you sincerely seek me with, with all your heart, you will find me. She came and she found what she was looking for. I'm just a firm believer of that. You know, like um, Ken, sometimes you say, you see things differently. You know, maybe I'm looking for something different. You know, maybe, you know, and sometimes I look, hear you talking and you see things different, but that's what you're looking for. And that doesn't mean that what, you know, she could have come and heard somebody talking about a baseball game. I don't have a clue what God, thought about that I don't I don't know you know on the surface I can say well maybe that's not what she they should be thinking about whatever but who am I to judge I may not have said anything like her this is a good point I may not have said anything about the baseball game but my mind may be on it right so that doesn't make me holy she may not have come right out and told people y'all not talking about the Sabbath but she was busy her brain wasn't on blessing the Lord or uplifting the saints or, you know, spreading the word, her, her thoughts was on what other people are not doing right, mm. which is exactly what the, um, what the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees were doing, watching people carefully to see if they could, uh, if they were not following the Sabbath correctly. I think some of it too, it's always a challenge. Am I here to find Jesus or am I here to look at other people? One of the things we got to remember, no matter who, there is nobody perfect. None, none of us are righteous. Mm-hmm. So what if you see somebody do something wrong? Big deal. We already know that we're sinners saved by grace. 
what we do is not what we need to be worried about. It's what God has done for us. And when people focus on each other, yeah, I guarantee you'll be disappointed. You better that's believe. a guarantee. You so gotta, that's yes. why we're supposed to be, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll mm -hmm. draw men to me. Not if the, not if the uh, church members are lifted up, if I'm lifted up. And another thing, Karen. So could, wait a minute. Are you saying that we should not be a peculiar people? No, I'm saying we should all be looking for Christ, not each other. None of us can save one another. Jesus, again, said, if I be lifted up, that means in your heart, in your mind, you need to be lifting Christ up so that you'll have an example to follow. If you look at other people, I don't bet, but I'm, I'd bet you find something wrong with everybody. Yeah, you know what? And what you just said is right. Yeah, we should be a peculiar person. That includes her. <laughs> So she was doing, she was doing exactly what well, but she was a but she was a new person coming in. She was trying to learn. She was trying to gather information and decide what she needed to okay, do, what she what wanted saying, to do. Gather information about what? Are you gathering information about correct doctrine, um, about Jesus, or are you here to gather information on is these people good enough for me to be with? Because that's what she gathered information on. So so let me just say this. A lot of times people come into our church. They're looking for the love of Christ. Forget doctrine, because love comes first. The love of Christ comes first. Mm -hmm. So if we're sitting around talking about each other and wagging our tongues about this one and that one and the other, does that show that we are, because the word says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Mm -hmm. And so when we're sitting around talking about each other and, and, and talking about all kinds of stuff, is that showing the love that, that, shows people that we know Christ? I don't know if that is, because I was just thinking about her too. Now, see, before she saw them talking about everything except, you know, um, that she didn't think should be talked about on the Sabbath. But if she's seen them talk about people... Well, she just know, saw no difference between the world and us, and we were supposed to be peculiar. To. <laughs> I'm just... If, if nothing more, Karen, if nothing more... She can look at what we're eating and we're not eating pork. That's different from the world. If nothing more than that, she can see that there's no alcohol <laughs> on the table. She can see that. You know, if nothing more, she can just look at what people are eating and say, hey, this is different. The fact that I believe that on the Sabbath, the meals are vegetarian, that's a difference. She saw what she was looking for. Are these people good enough for me to be with? And you know what, Karen? She can go to the next church she may stay there for six months. She may stay there for eight months. But eventually, she's going to come to the same conclusion. These people are not holding up. They're not really holding up the standards of God. It just depends on what you're looking for. That's, you know, when I go, if I go, but you know, I don't usually go to the meals. But if I go to the meals, what I'm always struck by is the friendliness of the people. And that the people are there. I've never been, knock on wood, to any. Sabbath meal where somebody broke out into a fight, cussing out each other, you know, you know, using a, a broomstick on each other. I've never been to anything like that. I haven't, you know, but I have seen happy children running around. I have seen parents with their kids there. I have seen husband and wife sitting there. I have seen older people, you know, getting together and communicating and having fellowship. And if she couldn't see the love of God in that, I don't care what the con what the conversation consisted of, you could see what you want to see there. Do that make sense to you, Karen? Yes, I've heard mm -hmm. stuff that people probably Yes, absolutely. I've absolutely. heard that, but I've been hugged there. People have teased me and, you know, said little funny things to me there. And people have complimented me there. I mean, you know, that's called fellowship. All of it is. One of the things, too, it. that I like to remember is... Um, God is the one who's going to draw people to him. Mm -hmm. And we might not uh, come to church once or twice or whatever, and then all of a sudden fall in love with the Lord and become a faithful member. It might take several opportunities. You go to this church, then you don't like it there. You go to another church, whatever happens. But the Lord promises us that you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Mm -hmm. So if, if, her, if the young lady you spoke about or anybody truly seeking the Lord, they will find him. Doesn't mean they'll find him immediately, 
you never know when, just like in Christ's day, some of those very people who were, um, were, who were following him after the crucifixion didn't follow him when he was alive and when he was talking to him. So you never know how long it's going to take a person to actually accept Christ into their heart. But yeah, we should be uh, good examples of Christ. We should be ambassadors for Christ. But again, we don't have a heaven for anybody to go to or a hell to shun. That's why the scripture says, uh, he that does the will of my father and accepts Christ, those, that's the one that's going to be saved. And sometimes, Karen, you know what? This, uh, two things, too. So this person who came and she saw this report, this evil report that she saw, then who's, who was leading her? Was that the Holy Spirit leading her? Whose voice is she listening to? So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is this. Yesterday, someone said to me, like, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what they're going through. You really don't. We might think that, you know, look at a person and like, dang, you know, she dressed like that. I remember somebody saying, you know, they had literally been a prostitute. And they thought they were being modest in their dress, which, of course, other people didn't think what they were being modest. But we don't know. So we're judging from our standard, from where we are standing at, from where, from the benefits that we have had in life. And some of these people have come from some very, 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 you know, really, really sad uh, backgrounds or, or, and they don't know, they have no clue. So, and I'm saying this, that the people you see talking and doing these things, you absolutely don't know where those people came from. And yeah, they may have been in church for 50 years, but I tell you, sometimes, you know, you can get abused or so maltreated as a child that it takes 75 years to get that stuff out of you. So mm -hmm. we can't be judged. I mean, I will hope anybody who come into our church will expect and accept that they're going to find human beings there. And somebody in the church is going to say something at that meal that when they get home, the Holy Spirit will convict them and say, Maybe you should not have said that, or you shouldn't have spoken it that way, or whatever. But that's the Lord working on their hearts. And we can't stop in the middle of their story and say, hey, this person ain't really a Christian because she said this. Just going, just going from that example, which is a good one. When we hear people still giving my uh, <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Go well, <laughs> when we hear something like that, and like Lakita saying everybody's different, we don't know where they came from. Maybe the person talking about baseball was talking about a lot worse things before. Yeah. And now they're actually making an improvement compared yeah. to what they used to say after after church service. So mm -hmm. you just never know, like Native Americans say, how can you judge me unless you walk a mile in my moccasins? And you know, Karen, I'm not really ever, I'm not really ever a person that says, well, this person is like this is a new person. And so they get a pass because I was a new person at one point. And I know how the Lord worked with me and my heart. And so I don't have all that, that, you know, okay, because you knew you get to shun everybody else. Cause I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think I have to, I don't have a right to put other people on any other standards than I have for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I absolutely know on any day of the week I might say something about somebody <laughs> that may not be the best thing, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on. We've had a long discussion about that. <laughs> Thank you guys for your comments on that. Um, so next she switches to the poor brethren. And she talks about how they're not free from temptation. She says some of them are poor managers. They don't have wisdom, good judgment, and they want to obtain money or wealth or property without waiting for the slow process of persevering toil. In other words, they don't want to work hard for it. And they engage in various enterprises without consulting someone of good judgment and experience. And so she says, seldom are their foolish, basically, I'm just going to add their foolish um, whims um, 
realize and, and instead of gaining, they lose. And then comes temptation and then a disposition to envy the rich. And they want to be benefited by the wealth of their wealthy brethren, but um, they, they just are not. But she says, these are not worthy of special help. She says, they have evidence that their efforts have been scattered. They have been changeable in business and full of anxiety and cares, which bring small returns. But she says, such persons should listen to the counsel of those of experience, but frequently they don't want to seek advice. And they think they have superior judgment and will not be taught. You know anybody mm -hmm. like that that don't want to hear? It, it, you know, it, it, it reminds me of they say if you want to be rich, hang around millionaire. Don't hang around somebody that's homeless talking about how to make money. <laughs> I think that can happen to any of us. You know, we think we have the right idea and we could be way out in left field somewhere. And if mm -hmm. we did have opportunity to speak to somebody that does know what they're doing, you really do have to take a long look at yourself and say, hey, admittedly, I'm terrible at this. So let me try what this person's saying who has experience. But many times we just get stuck in that. No, this is a good, good idea. The Lord gave me this idea and, and this is going to do it. And it's not the right idea and it's not going to work. And it's sometimes hard for people to back up and say, you know, that's that's not right. I got to go a different route. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know people like that, that just think they know. They think that the limited, uh, well, let me put it like this. They think that their level of intelligence is everyone's level of intelligence. And therefore, why should they consult anybody else? <laughs> and so they assume that they know as much as anybody else. And often, or sometimes, that's just not the case. Mm -mm. Hey, did you guys <laughs> used to, I bet Andre probably used to watch Star Trek Captain Picard. Yep, I used to watch Star Trek. I was a Trekkie. Yeah, yeah so remember the Borg. <laughs> the what? Uh-huh, yeah. Borg collective mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, they all put their heads together and came up with, you know, better plans than anybody could could uh, overcome if, and that was their motto, resistance is futile, because we have collective knowledge and it's just you with your one brain fighting against us. And that's how this uh, people like this are, think they have superior judgment and refu refuse to be taught when there is so much collective knowledge you can benefit from, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Especially now with the internet. Right, absolutely. You can find out just about anything on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. All you got to do is type That's it why in. they call it the World Wide Web. Type it in, boom. Mm -hmm. uh, and she says that these uh, ones with, with poor judgment, she said they're often the ones who are deceived by someone with greater intelligence who's sharp and shrewd, and they're peddling something. In this case, she's saying patent rights. Uh, but they're peddling something, and their success depends upon the art of deception. And so how easy is it to pull the wool over the eyes of someone of lesser intelligence? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Um, and she says, but she says, the brethren are credulous in regard to the very things they should suspect and shun. She says that they don't take, they don't take home the instruction of Paul to Timothy. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Let not the poor think that the rich are the only covetous ones, while the rich hold what they have, the covetous grasp and seek to obtain still more. The poor are in great danger of coveting the rich man's wealth. So both of them are coveting. The rich man is coveting more gain and the poor man is coveting what the, what, what the rich man has. Mm -hmm. um, she says her appeal to the rich is deal liberally with your poor brethren and use your means to advance the cause of God. The worthy poor, that means those who are made poor by misfortune and sickness, deserve your special care and help. Worthy poor, worthy poor. That's a word that, uh, you know, that uh, or phrase that uh, we need to keep in mind. They deserve your special care and help. And finally, be all of one mind, having compassion, one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So there are some that she's saying are worthy of our time, attention, our money, our blessings, you know, 
and then there are others who, you know, they're just foolish and they don't want to, they don't want no guidance. They don't want no advice. They just, they're just foolish. And they're on a path of, they're on a path toward foolishness and more foolishness. And uh, she said, men and women professing God and is an expecting translation to heaven without seeing death. She warns us to be less greedy of gain, less self-caring. She says, redeem our God-like manhood, our noble womanhood by acts of disinterested benevolence. What is disinterested benevolence? Don't expect anything back. Mm. Ah, very good. Very good definition. And she says, heartily despise your former avaricious spirit and regain true nobility of soul. So give just because the blessing is in the giving, not in what you get back. Right? It's, yeah, it's doing what God told you to do, and that's the bottom line. Don't even mm -hmm. worry, don't even think about the outcome. And that's mm -hmm. a real struggle, you know, to just do what God tells you to do. If he tells you to call the person, call the person. You know, if the person don't want to talk, that's their issue. Not your, not anything for you to feel anything bad about. If mm -hmm. he says, give this person, you know, a sweater, and then you find out she turned around and gave a mink coat to somebody else, you know, your other, mm -hmm. your, sister, your cousin. Mm. <laughs> you, Mercy. you gave her, you know, $50 or, or went to see her. Let's say you went to see her in the hospital and you come, you have a near-death experience. And then, you know, she mentioned how she was down the street eating where your hospital was, but didn't stop in and say hi to you. So, I mean, yeah. See, so let me tell you this story. I was in Walmart one day and this girl asked me, she said she was on hard times and she asked me, could I buy the groceries in her cart? She had her cart full, mind you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, well, I tell you what, I'll buy up to a certain amount, you know? And I did, I bought up to a certain amount. And went on about my business, went on about my shopping. Next thing I know, she had filled her cart back up and was asking somebody else to buy her cart. Really? Uh-huh. Yep. But you know what? I didn't worry about that because I said, maybe she's trying to feed more than one family. Maybe I, I didn't know. I didn't care. I had done what the Lord, what the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. impressed on me to do, mm -hmm. you know? And I just went on about my day and said, well, I'll receive my blessing because I heard the Holy Spirit say, yes, go ahead and give, mm -hmm. you know? And the blessing, you know, that you've already received the blessing. Because to me, the blessing is in that giving right then and right there. Because now that lets you know, A, I will do what God tells me to do. And B, if it was ever in your past in the history where you was clinging on to money, the Lord has just shown you that you've gotten the victory over that. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. there is, the blessing is already there in the giving. You know, uh, it's mm -hmm. not anything we have to wait on. It's that feeling you get as well that I follow God. And what right. you don't walk away with is feeling guilty like I should have done it. And blah, blah, right. Blah. And it would have been one thing if I didn't have it to give, that would have been different. But I had it to give. So, and the Holy Spirit said give, you give. I remember one, uh, one, uh, evening at prayer service, one of our members, well, we had a visitor there and I can't remember how the visitor got there. If she was brought by someone else, cause they found her walking on the street. And I think that was the case, the scenario, they found her walking on the street, just brought her on to church. Right. And this one member, he was impressed by the Holy spirit to just open up his wallet and give whatever was in his wallet. And he did that at the end of the prayer service. He just handed her everything that was in his wallet. He said afterwards, he said, I thought I only had a certain amount in there. And I forgot I had gone to the bank that day to get some money to pay a bill. And that was in that money. And that was what was in my wallet too. But he didn't worry about it. It's like, you know what? The Holy Spirit told him to do it. And he did it. The Holy Spirit knew how much was there. And the Holy Spirit knew how God was going to bless him afterwards. So, you know, we have to have eyes that see and ears that hear and are open to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us mm -hmm. and leading us and guiding us. And we cannot say that we are gods if the Holy Spirit, if we're not hearing the Holy Spirit and if we're not obeying the Holy Spirit. All right, let's go on down. Um, 
Oh, this is this is this is for you, Lee. At the bottom of four eighty-two point one, says, "Ye shall know them by their fruits." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says, "Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven." Which goes back to hearing the Holy Spirit and 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 obeying. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Uh, and then she says in the next paragraph that she appeals to all who profess to believe the truth to consider the life and character of the Son of God. He is our example. And his life was marked with that disinterested benevolence, which you defined for us, Nikita. Mm-hmm. He was ever touched with human woe. He went about doing good. There was not one selfish act in all his entire life. Isn't that something? His entire life, there was not one selfish act. His love, you know what? And it makes me think about little children before they even really know who they are. They'll hit you if you try to, if another kid tries to take some candy from them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or push, or they'll push them down if they try to get in front of them. You know? And so that tells you that selfishness is just part of our nature. It's just, it's just there. It doesn't have to be taught. It's already there. And to say that he never did one selfish act in his whole life, it said his love for the fallen race, his desire to save them was so great that he took upon himself the wrath of his father and consented to suffer the penalty of that transgression which plunged guilty man in degradation. He bore the sins of man in his own body. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that is, you know, if we just dwelt on that, there's a lot of things we probably would not do when Satan tempts us. You know, if we just dwelt on the fact that, you know, the life that Jesus led and the fact that, you know, he, he, he just, he went about doing good, period. And he was ever concerned about, he esteemed others greater than himself. I'll just put it like that. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Is that Patsy? Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy Sabbath, Patsy. Um, let's see. And then let's go down. I'm going to go midway through the next paragraph. Um, she's talking about here... Um, True generosity, yeah, and prosperity and riches. And she says, true, true generosity is frequently destroyed by prosperity and riches. And she, and I'm going to skip down to the middle of this paragraph, uh, unless there's something uh, before that, Lee, you want to bring out, but, um, or one of you I want to bring out. But. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was <laughs> interesting that true generosity, the people were generous before they even had, you know, a lot. But then mm-hmm. once they got, you know, they're generous when they have a little which like we had said before about in gathering in certain neighborhoods, you mm-hmm. know, the poor folk tend mm-hmm. to get more. But then when these people got prosperity and riches, then it destroyed their generosity. And mm-hmm. it, it says a little later, the more they have, the more they desire, the more mm-hmm. they are prospered, the more eager they are for gain. And I was mm-hmm. laughing about that because I was talking to my brother about lottery winners. And he thinks it's so funny that a person who is poor spend their last dollar on the lottery. And then if they win it, first thing they want to do is invest the money. When they didn't have a dime before that, now all of a sudden you're on Wall Street trying to invest money. Mm-hmm. You got you got all the money you ever wished for. Why do you need to invest it? Just keep mm-hmm. what you got and be happy. But mm-hmm. again, it says the more they're prospered, the more eager they are for more gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and um, basically, this is dealing with the people that I, I would, I'm just going to say this, I'm a, and maybe this is not necessarily, but people who have asked God for gain and for wealth and said, God, you know, if you prosper me, I'll do thus and such and thus and such. And then he prospers them and then they forget all about him. And they forget, you remember the story of the man, he, 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 um, he was poor, but he was faithful in returning his little tithe and offering every week. And he said, um, and he, but, he, but he was praying for the Lord to bless him. The Lord blessed him. And he became wealthy. But when he became wealthy, he found it difficult to return that much money in tithe and offering. 
Mm-hmm. So he and said his prayer was, God help me to be faithful again. And so what God did was he took all his riches away and made it poor again. And so it's a lesson for us in that. And you know, <laughs> sister, I like what he says too, that he talks about they were overhear they were overhearing, overbearing, I'm sorry, and money was was power for them. It's amazing how people that, you know, they get the wealth and they think they can press down on the, the poor when the poor is, is still, you know, uh, trusting in God and everything to provide, which he does. But mm-hmm. the rich feel like, well, now I can trample on them. I got all this money. So money is power. Mm-hmm. I can trust in my money now. I don't have to trust in God anymore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, it's so funny. They said in the, uh, in this book, The Rich Man Next Door. And they say that even wealthy people, if they get a some if they get a rebate check in the mail for one dollar, they will cash it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She says all their good intentions and promises are like the rolling sand. And like you already said, Lee, the more they have, the more they desire, the more they are prospered, the more, more eager they are for gain. And some of these who in their poverty were once even benevolent become penurious and exacting and money becomes their God. It's just what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Said the angel. But Martin, you know, I look at, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Lakita, were you saying something first? Patsy. Oh, Patsy. Go ahead, Patsy. Yeah, I said, I'm going to go ahead and let you finish because I want to make a comment on the next paragraph. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, said the angel, mark ye how they stand the test. Watch the development of character under the influence of riches. Some were oppressing the needy and would obtain their services for the lowest figure. We talked about that earlier. They were overbearing. Money was power to them. God's eye I saw was upon them. They were deceived. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Um, and so, you know what? When God blesses us, we need to make certain that we are still doing his will with that money. We're returning a faithful tithe and offering the systematic benevolence that, that Leah and Lakita talk about. Um, but also um, just doing those things that God would have us to do, opening our hand to the needy, opening our hand to the poor. Uh, what were you gonna say in the next paragraph, Patsy? You know, it's amazing that, you know, and I've watched, I guess, because I came from a small church. When I came to St. Louis and, you know, and being at a big church, I I really did see the people that had the money. They wanted to control the whole, everything in the church. If you don't let, if it's not my way, then I can reduce. And, you know, and it was like, if, you know, and I don't know, you know, how pastors view that, but it seems like. Those who get, return the most tide and got the most wealth and come in with the flashy clothes, et cetera, it seems like those are the ones that the pastors seem to, I don't want to say cling to, but seem to, whatever they say, it's got to be done their way. And I'm like, what about the poor people that may have some decent ways to, you know, increase membership, you know, to do some other things, but it just seems like to me that the wealthy control everything, even in God's church. Mm. That was actually one of the reasons why we have the, uh, why our church system follows the tithe and offering plan that God set forth so that the ministers, they don't have to cater to the wealthy because their salary is going to be the same no matter what, because it's everybody's, you know, big pool of money paying the salaries of the pastors. So if you have wealthy people in your congregation, that's great, but you don't have to do what they say out of fear that you won't be able to make your rent payment because your uh, your salary is already taken care of. But sometimes, you know, like you had mentioned, Patsy, about wealth is power. Sometimes people say, oh, if I'm friends with, you know, the Joneses over here, then that kind of gives me a little bit of power and prestige too. Sometimes pastors get caught up in that. But, you know, again, like we we're talking about earlier, we're all humans and we all have to keep close watch on, on the example of Christ so that we don't go astray. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see, where are we? Um, 
So in that paragraph, Patsy, that next paragraph, she's talking about um, basically how um, some of the wealthy people give to the church, but then they pride themselves upon their punctuality and generosity and think that that's all they have to do. They have to give a little money here and there. She says, but their duty does not cease there. And God has claims upon them that they don't realize. And uh, our stewardship leaders, what are some of the other claims that God has upon them? Well, we know he has. Is, it, is, it, is it just their, their treasure? No, it's their time, their talent, and their temple, their body. He, mm -hmm. he has claims upon our lives. And she's mm -hmm. mentioned here that society has claims on them. Their fellow mm -hmm. men have claims on them. Mm -hmm. Every member of their family has claims upon them. So all these claims mm -hmm. should be guarded and not once should be overlooked or neglected. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Mm -hmm. but, but also I think on the other end of that two sisters and brothers is that the ones who say well I ain't got no money so I can't do nothing you can always pass out tracts you can always talk to somebody you know and say you know just just talk to them about Christ that don't take any money but you know God expects you to give your time and your talents too mm -hmm. and be thankful about that Right. God has all these claims on us because he gives us everything. It's, if we ever pay attention to some of the responses we do in church, uh, one of them says, we give thee but thine own. Uh, whatever the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. O Lord, a trust from thee. So God gives us everything. It's just a trust. It's not even ours. He's just trusting us to use it, you know, and, um, and we just have to uh, remember that and not be so stingy and say, oh, this is mine. No, it's not yours. It's God's, and he's just trusting you to use it wisely. And like was pointed out, not just on him, but also on others, on society, on your family, on the poor. You know, you've been trusted with wealth to help others, not to be a curse to others. Mm -hmm. okay. And she says something that they can't aid the cause of God unless they have a large increase. So basically, they, they want to give to God off of the interest, and they don't want to touch the principle. Yeah. And she says, but if the Savior were to speak the same words to them that he spoke to the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. She said they would go away sorrowful. Karen Lakey has to get on the um, um, panel for Linwood. So oh, okay, okay. All right, okay. we'll see you guys. Be blessed. Okay. All right. Thank you, you so too, much for Adrian. joining. All right. Thank you for joining. Uh, and so um, she said that um, they would do the same thing as the rich young ruler. They would basically uh, go away sorrowful because they would choose to retain their idols and their riches rather than depart with them to secure treasure in heaven. And uh, so, so hopefully you know, if the Lord were ever to make any of us wealthy, and then he said, now give it all away, <laughs> we would not have a problem doing that, huh, Patsy? Patsy. <laughs> well, considering he gave it to me, I had to be like Joe and some of the Hebrew boys. If he, if he let me keep it fine, if he tell me to give it away, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And then she says, um, let's skip on down paragraph 483.1 at the bottom of that. Um, she says, thus it is with some who profess to believe the truth. They think they are perfect and that there is no lack when they are far from perfection and are cherishing idols, which will shut them out of heaven. And in this case, money, money took the place of, of, of Jesus and money was more important to them than Jesus. And, you know, where your, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And so if you spend a lot of time throughout your week, doing everything but studying the word of God and praying and being a, a, a Christ-like example and influence to other people. You know, you spend your time on the television and on the computer and working, uh, all of those things that, that, that draw us away from Christ. Um, then what are you going to have in the end? What are you, what, what you going to have when you haven't spent the time with Christ to perfect your character? When you haven't spent the time in the word, when you haven't uh, done the hard work necessary to put away your 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 uh, beset besetting sins, and 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 to put away those idols that that are that will keep you out of heaven. Where are you going to stand in that day? You know. 
Um, and then she talks about um, in this next paragraph, uh, she says that a lot of people pity the slaves who were slaves in this country. She says, because they were bound to their labor, but she says still slavery exists in a lot of families where the children and the wives are just made to work, 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 work. And they're not given the time to, um, to meditate and to pray and to obtain spiritual food and food for the intellect that the mind, which, which we served God won't be dwarfed in its growth. And so in that particular case, it seems that it's some sort of involuntary slavitude that's forced on the, the wife and the children to under the husband's command or domain or whatever, to just keep working, work, 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 work. But then there are others who under their own, on, on, on their own and, and voluntarily, they just work, 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 work. Uh, and, and, and so she's saying here, you know what? You need to spend time with the Lord. You need to spend time in meditation and prayer because how will you become Christ-like if you don't? Um, and then let's see, we're going to try to go ahead and finish this paragraph. I mean, this, this chapter out, um, let's skip down to paragraph 484.2. And I'm just going to read part of this. And she says, many seem to have no true sense of their responsibility before God. They are required to strive to enter in at the straight gate because many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able Heaven requires them to try to induce others also to strive to enter in at the straight gate. A work is before young and old to labor earnestly to save not only their own souls, but the souls of others. There are none who have reasoning faculties who have not some influence, but by their indifference, they use that influence to hinder souls from striving to enter in at the straight gate or by their earnest, persevering, untiring efforts, they urge upon them the necessity of striving diligently to enter there. No one can occupy a neutral position, meaning doing nothing to encourage others and doing nothing to hinder them, says Christ. They that gather not with me scatter abroad. And she says, you're either doing the work of Christ to save souls or you're doing the work of Satan to lead them to perdition that your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your, your father, which is in heaven. So basically she's saying in this chapter, we cannot take a neutral lukewarm position. We have to be striving ourselves to enter in at the straight gate, but also to encourage and influence others to enter in at the straight gate. We must do this work. It is part of, 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 of God's charge to us. And, and, and our indifference and our lukewarmness and our, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to upset nobody. Mm -mm. She's saying, let's earnestly strive and, and let's earnestly strive to influence others to earnestly strive to enter in at the straight gate. Sister Karen, I got a question for you. Uh -huh. What happens if you, if, if you know that even if you're using the Bible, what does say the Lord, when you're talking to somebody, you can see that they're either getting offended or they got this little attitude. I said, is it wrong to, to finish out with saying, I'm reading from the Bible, this is what the Bible says, and then later just pray for them instead of, you know, getting into, well, I, I don't, I, I think you're judging me. Is it wrong to, like I said, give them the word from, the, the, from the Holy Spirit and Absolutely. then just pray for them? Is it, is it, is it, because when she says, okay. I don't see anything wrong with that, Patsy, because it's not our words. So, so, so if they're taking issue, I mean, if we're giving our opinion or if we're trying to expound and explain to them what the scriptures say, that's one thing. But if you're reading straight from the scripture, then, you know, it, it does no good to engage in argument with them about what the straight word of truth says. It, it, that doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. Yeah, so, they, seem, they seem to think that if, you know, like I said, I'm reading it straight from the word and it's like, well, I think you're trying to, you know, uh, say something against me. And I'm like, no, you know, I know you go, you know, you go to your church, whatever. But I said, it's not against them. I'm just reading it from the word. And so when they get offended, right. I said, I finish, you know, my statement. Then I say, well, I'm just going to have to pray for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and it wouldn't hurt to say these are not my words. These are God's words. So, you know, because, you know, the, the word of God cuts both ways. You know, 
And as long as we're not uh, giving them our opinion or we're trying to interpret what it says and you're reading it straight from the word, yeah, leave it there. The Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit's job to make that word penetrate their hearts. It's not our job. You okay, know, thank as, you. As, as long as you are putting it out there, that's that's all your job is. And, you know, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we're not the one that's going to see them into heaven anyway. We may, we may be the one that digs the little hole in the earth for someone else to come and plant the seed, for someone else to come after that and, 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 and water it. You know what I'm saying? But God is the one that always grants the increase, always. We just don't know where we are in that little, that little planting regime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because you know, Sister Karen, I'm I'm really trying to work with a young lady. She's in college, and she, you know, and I said I'm doing amazing facts, and I said, you know, I don't know, you know, she'll, you know, I I kind of talk to her real quick sometimes because you know she might, you know, be in the middle of finals or whatever. But I tried to, you know, let her know you, and I gave her my email. I said, if you got questions, just email me. But you know, as far as setting down like the way I was trained, I said I haven't got a chance to do that with her other than just phone, you know, during this time. But I just said, Lord, I said, at least she's reading, you know, the stuff that I'm sending to her. And she's, you know, she's searching for God and she's searching for, you know, knowing about the Sabbath and why, you know, why God chose six days for us to labor. I said, she's searching, but I don't want to do anything that would discourage her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so God, God, God will he will send in reinforcements for his word. The Holy Spirit will come in behind you reading the word. You see what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. If that, per- if that person, if that person, and, and you're adding your prayers for that person afterwards, the Holy Spirit will come in and do and do the job that he's that he's been uh, 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 appointed to do, or that he exists to do. I'll put it like that. Okay, that gives me a lot of encouragement because I didn't want to give up. Mm-mm, no, don't give up. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and la- finally, the last chapter, I mean, or the last paragraph, she talks about the influence of the young. And she said if, that they can exert a powerful influence if they would just give up their pride and selfishness and devote themselves to God. She says, but as a general rule, they don't want to bear the burdens of others. They want to, they have to be carried themselves, <laughs> meaning that they, they're, they're still on the backs of their parents. Uh, but she says the time has come when God requires a change in this respect. And he calls upon the young and the old to be zealous and repent. She says, if we continue in our state of lukewarmness, God will spew us out of his mouth. And she says, says the true witness, I know thy works. And she says, young men, young women, your works are known, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Are you rich in good works? Jesus comes to you as a counselor. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. So God is willing to give us all of these good gifts. He's willing to give us that gold tried in the fire. He's willing to give us white raiment. He's willing to um, clothe us with his robe of righteousness. And gold tried in the fire. Let me. Just break that down. Go try to find how that is. And then I now, uh, I'm sorry, the government is just.
Hello? You still there, Sister Karen? Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I think we had a, uh, I think we had a uh, electrical blip there. Something happened in the house? Uh-huh. Yeah, because you was, the last thing I heard was you said go try it in fire. And that's oh, the last okay. thing I heard. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I was saying that um, go, wait a minute. Gold tried in the fire is faith that works by love to purify our hearts. And then the uh, white raiment is the righteousness of Christ. And then the anoint our eyes with, with eye salve is so that it, 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 it is the discernment of the Holy Spirit. So um, we should be asking the Lord for these things. And then we should be asking the Lord to show us those areas in our own lives that we need to repent from and be zealous to do that. And zealous implies an urgency. Um, be zealous to repent. Um, be zealous to, uh, or be, er, be, be very willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to, um, help us to overcome our besetments. All right. Uh, that concludes this chapter. In, and uh, Sister Karen, when we go yes. offline, I want to find out if I want to get on my laptop, what I'm supposed to, the, the ID number and stuff to get on my laptop, get on okay, a laptop. Sure. Sure, sure, no problem. All right. And um, so at this, uh, we finished this chapter out and uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray us out. Um, and thank you all for joining us today for uh, the, our discipleship class. Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity once again to study from the spirit of prophecy and again, a closer understanding, Lord, of your will for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would hide these things in our hearts and, uh, and do them, Lord, um, because faith without works is dead. We thank you. We praise you. We lift up your name and thank you for giving us another day and another Sabbath day, particularly to draw closer to you. Now, Lord, as we separate, I pray that you would be with us until we come together again and help us to keep our minds stayed on thee and help us to have uh, a draw, uh, have a closer walk with thee and a deeper understanding of your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Not live. Right? Okay. All right. Okay, Karen, how do I get in if I'm using that Chrome tablet? Are we offline?